This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 545, for February 8th, 2017. Howdy ho, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, senior contributor to Macworld, Glenn Fleischman, and wow, it's February already. The year is already over one-twelfth over. That's pretty great, isn't it, Susie Oaks, executive editor of Macworld? It sure is, Glenn. It sure is. We thought 2016 was going to be a year, but 2017 is is also shaping up to be a year. It looks They're like both years. They're both years. Who would have guessed? I I was a little surprised, but you know we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. There's no leap. Who knows what next year will bring? I think Maybe we, another year. In my Maybe recollections, not. we had 366 days last year. Maybe that's right. Not sure. Is that why it felt so long? I think the so. Extra day. Wasn't a leap year? Last like, day. I think it's we also had a leap second near the end. Pretty sure they added a leap second. And that is why it seemed like one of the longest years in recent memory. That's the only reason. And so let's science. move right on. <laughs> Moving along. That's straight science. Exactly. Science. Sidereal time. Look it up. Uh, so we have a bunch <laughs> we have a bunch of follow-up. Uh Earnings. Apple had some money that they were made. They earned it. They, they earned, earned it some good. money, and um, you know, kind of record-setting quarter. Record-setting quarter, except uh, as um, was made clear in the analyst call. But some people seem to discover and yell about later. It was a one week longer quarter than the previous year. Mm. Uh, I know because things shape out a little differently the way they break it up. So um, this one week longer because you know Apple does a fiscal year. And they have fiscal quarters, and so they have little control over how they break things so they fit correctly into seasons. And so some years, that involves them having an extra week in the Christmas quarter in order to provide uh, a more uh, correct wrapper around all the events that are happening financially. Uh, so if you back that week out, or you back at an average week, they did not have a record-breaking quarter, but they did technically Uh-oh. compare, you know, so... Um, but it, you know, it definitely was not worse. That's the big po- uh, point to make. Is regardless of that week, they uh, they did fine. They did fine. That's what the Macalope is about uh, today or yesterday, as you're hearing oh. this. Oh, is about the, that week, the missing week. Yeah, so I, it was like a market watch wrote up. You know that the the good news was really bad news because it's good news about Apple, and we all know that there's only bad news about That's Apple. Right. So That's right. So that was the market watch thing, and then the Macalope, of course, you know, grabbed it by the neck and shook his head around violently as he's tend to do. He or, or she, we're not saying, they and uh, just ripped it right apart. It. So yeah, that, that was it. Was a good read. It's an issue, and it, you know, I I buy into it, but it's also I think uh, the 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 real issue is are they having some consecutive growth or at least not backing off? And they are. And we also can look at unit sales and margin, and we see that those were good for flagship. Uh, product service revenue was a lot was up a lot, which was expected, but it was a significant bump year over year. Uh, the kind of thing that that uh, certainly analysts like to see, but also as customers, we like to know that the company is firing on cylinders and is going to keep developing things we like. So conceivably, the fact that service revenue from subscriptions and uh, other things that are you know digital services, uh, it's a uh, App Store, iTunes, Apple Music, Apple Pay, and iCloud are included in that. It's great for us for more new cool things coming that we like or improvements in existing services or adding more things in to existing services. Um, at some point, I want iCloud fees to drop enormously. Like They should just be giving us 500 gigabytes for like $2 a month or something. It's The pricing is getting kind of absurd, um, and that's where they're taking some margin too. So 
They, Mac they, revenues are up against a shrinking PC market. Like the whole yeah. the PC market as a whole, which includes Macs, is down and continues to go down. But Macs continue to go up, and that's kind of remarkable because they haven't been doing that much with Macs. I, I mean, the MacBook Pros were at least new, and they were new like at the right time, and you know, in the big quarter. But but like so next year, I mean, I want to see I want to see like explosive Mac growth because they put a lot of Macs in the channel. I know, as we're talking about. Well, I think right, the MacBook Pro certainly dealt with some pent up demand, but I think you just have the replacement cycle. You have people. I mean, we mm-hmm. here's the thing, and listeners, I know you know this because you're running. If you're listening to this podcast, you're very likely running machines that are several years old, if not a decade old. Um, I get to Mac nine and one all the time. People running. Uh, Max at the extreme end of being able to use El Capitan or Mavericks or even Sierra. And those machines are now anywhere between, what is it, like five and nine years old, depending on which release you're talking about. And they're perfectly fine. They're like, you know, I'm just hitting the limit. Oh, I put an SSD in. I did this. And um, the segue from that is, you know, that's what we're seeing with the iPad sales too, is uh, mm-hmm. there has not been year-over-year growth. There's, it's the... the um, Install base gets bigger and bigger, and as we've talked about many times, many people have discussed, the iPad is resilient. People don't need to replace it. We have yeah. we talked about this just recently. I think I have four, no, I have three iPads in the house of vintages that date back to an iPad two. They all work perfectly. There is no mm-hmm. reason to replace any of. Them. In fact, I'm sort of surprised we have three, but it's partly because of testing reasons. So um, there's, I think the thing is we haven't yet seen what the replacement cycle is. When your iPad eventually dies or you're so excited about a new feature, is that an eight-year cycle, a nine-year cycle, a 10-year cycle? It could be. And then, then at that point, you'd see the maturity when you start to see sales tick up with a little growth because you have new people coming in. They know they're selling um, – Apple said they are selling to a lot of new people. So that's primarily where sales are coming from now or not the existing base – which means mm-hmm. that when the existing base decides to upgrade, then you would actually see growth because you'd have new sales and the upgrade cycle. So I think that's still yeah. got a while to kick in. Some of their growth might come from you know opening more retail stores. And of course, with the iPad, they've been um, emphasizing um, new kind of use cases in education and, of course, in um, business. So, I mean, I'm touring kindergartens now because my son's going to Aww. kindergarten in the fall. And yeah, and it's been really cool seeing how many kindergartens have like, a, you know, even kindergartens have like a little rack of iPads, a little rack of Chromebooks. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we try to get the... The kids using technology like almost every day. I'm like, wow, it's really great. So, so yeah. I mean, maybe those kind of things are like that's <laughs> that's sort of why like they keep branching out in all these directions is yeah. to keep pushing the iPads places where it doesn't go because once you get an iPad somewhere, it's going to hang around there for a while. I honestly think the iPad Pro is still underrated too. I don't think people have uh, who might be target customers of it have fully understood like the price. Uh, feature advantage, uh, performance advantage, and like where it fits in as a something that is an iPad, but it's also a little more laptop productivity like. It's but basically it also, Apple's Chromebook. Remember when Apple yeah. they kept saying Apple had to make a Chromebook like back in the in the day. Like the iPad Pro is like pretty much that. I mean, you, you know, you have to BYO keyboard, but that's fine because there's so many different styles and you can pick whichever one you like. Um, but yeah, like that's that's it. I had to send back my uh, MacBook, my 12 inch MacBook. Uh, recently because things are going bad. Uh, in the end, they replaced. Uh, they were talking about replacing the display because they thought there might be a problem with that too, but they replaced uh, the bottom case, the top case, the battery, and the key. Well, so they got new keyboard. It's basically the motherboard remained the same and everything on the bottom 
was gone. So it's the display and motherboard and, and SSD and everything else is new. Well, SSD is part of the motherboard. Um, so I have what feels like wow. a brand new machine because Thank all goodness the, for Apple Care. Yeah, the stuff they didn't replace is still under warranty. Or the stuff they replaced is too. But so if the motherboard goes bad, or the SSD goes bad, I can get that replaced uh, for the next you know year under warranty because uh, I did the uh, or no sorry two actually I'm only I'm only fourteen. No, wait a second. I got 2015, it's a so I'm 2015 sorry. Machine, I'm almost, right? yeah, yeah, almost two years in, so I have more than a year to go. But I basically all the stuff that experiences wear and tear they replaced because it was looking cruddy. But I have an, a 9.7 inch iPad Pro with a keyboard cover from Apple, and I just used it as my home laptop um, when I, and for you know walking around doing stuff while the MacBook was in the shop and. I thought it was great. I was I was stunned, and then I found myself using it instead of the MacBook because it was slightly more convenient for some things. I just set it up in you know the little uh, tray thing you can do, so you can set it up on the keyboard. And um, it was I haven't had a. I know a lot of people have done the test, like all right, can I live with an iPad for a while? But uh, this is the first time I've done it in a bit, and it was uh, very very good. I would say. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, uh, it, it slows me down a little bit with the stuff that I do kind of day in and day out. But I mean, like just for, you know, for quick trips and as a as a second thing, it's nice to have like, I can get everything done. Yeah. Um, And then the battery life you, you cannot beat. And then it's if, you, if you're going to be ridiculous. Yeah. And if you're going to be in any kind of like mixed situation, especially again, when traveling where you want, you know, an entertainment device and a work device, like it's perfect because it fits yeah. both of those so well. We got some battery talk coming up after the follow-up as well. Um, more follow-up immigration and refugees, Apple and about a hundred other companies, including uh, almost every major technology company, uh, Filed. You know, like the 30 more that piled on later in the day. That's right. And also Amazon and Microsoft were missing from the front of the court. So so the, the uh, Washington State Attorney General, uh, my it's great Washington state. Washington and Minnesota are the states They were the original ones. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, other states have, I think, have filed uh, Amicus Curiae uh, briefs, which is the Friends of the Court briefs. Um, so a bunch of technology companies got on board, plus some uh, consumer brand, other consumer companies. And uh, Apple was on that list. But Amazon and Microsoft were missing. And people are thinking, well, why aren't they on this? Turns out Amazon and Microsoft are Washington state companies that had already signed on as to provide yeah. a witness statements to the lawsuit for the attorney general. The attorney general advised them to not also sign on to a friend of the court brief to uh, for whatever legal reason would make sense. So Amazon and Apple are also um, I'm sorry, Amazon and Microsoft are also in favor of uh, of opposing the uh, aspects of the. Uh, ban. So interesting. Technology companies had stayed a little back, have been kind of playing it cagey, and now they leapt in over this particular issue because uh, something like, what was it, 200 of the Fortune 500 companies were founded by immigrants or children of immigrants. Uh, Apple, Amazon, Google founded by, um, you know, founded by and, he and or headed by uh, immigrants or refugees or children of. So um, it's not a uh, even a one degree removed issue, and then tons of employees. So interesting stories about how uh, employees at these companies pushed uh, senior management to get involved and had um, in house meetings and discussions. And um, it's good. It's a very it's a very good demonstration of uh, democracy is one thing, but inside companies, it's often hard to get your voice heard about, especially about political issues. So it's a interesting thing how that uh, there's engagement inside companies on issues of importance too. Yeah, and the, I mean the tech industry was invested in immigration um, even before 
Trump was elected. I mean, this was always kind of the pet um, issue of like Mark Zuckerman at Facebook and they'd been doing like lobbying and trying to get more H-1B visas and right. that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like this particular order, of course, is um, it, this particular lawsuit is is uh, a, a judge um, invalidated uh, Trump's executive order and then in um, the Department of Justice is trying to get it reinstated. They wouldn't reinstate it immediately, like a you know an immediate um, um, stay. But but the hearing is um, actually today as we're recording this mm, okay. at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It's at three o'clock in the afternoon, and they're going to live stream it. Um, so by the time you're hearing this, um, I don't know, you know, like if. if they're hearing arguments on Tuesday, so um, we're we kind of got sucked into it. I think we're going to end up covering it because Apple is so involved. Um, I asked PC World yesterday. I was like, "Hey, you guys want one of these stories that we just wrote on PC World?" And they were like, "Ooh, no, we're not like touching that." And I was like, "Okay, well, we only care about the one company, and the one company really cares about this. Right. So we are going to be paying attention, and it's not going to be over anytime soon. But yeah, I'm really interested to see how it's going to come out. I think." The points that they made in the briefing are very valid, but you know, it's uh, it's for the courts to decide. We'll see. True. And we'll see. You know, I've been following. Uh, I've been reading a lot about it, and uh, it's very possible that a the the uh, immigration order, or the you know, the border control, whatever you want to call it, about people entering, could be rewritten in a constitutional fashion. Um, there's a lot of belief that the president has fairly strong powers in that regard, mm -hmm. but you got to formulate it in a way that is not actually unconstitutional to do it. So yeah, uh, could still happen. That's the, that'll be a problem for the technology industry. Um, if it's as tight as it's thought, but we'll see, there's going to be a lot of, uh, it's going to be a, it's a topic of high contention, but hits the tech industry hard. And, and it wasn't even just the tech industry that, um, so there were a hundred companies that signed the brief, the, uh, friend of the court brief originally, and then like 30 more piled on later. And there were a lot of tech companies, but then there were just, you know, like Levi Strauss, and just oh, other yeah. companies. They said, uh, they kept mentioning Chobani yogurt. Oh yeah. So, Levi Strauss, oh. Levi Strauss wouldn't have been founded by immigrants, would it? Or <laughs> Chobani, <laughs> Cho I don't want to get political, but Chobani wound up having a whole bunch of problems because they got targeted as if they were doing you know they got they got targeted by fake news basically about um, employment and other things and it's actually a great success story it's been incredibly great for upstate new york where it's uh, my some of my family is from and still lives so uh all right moving on out of the political realm into the uh different political realm mini display port that's not really politics <laughs> but made people angry cables and adapters are slightly political <laughs> well, fact, i know your political discussions about it's like well you're religious at least let's say that like what can we argue about that's let's right make well, a list. so uh we've been talking for months about all the queries we've gotten from folks with and i every time Susie, i have to define this who have uh what i've double checked is called the apple led cinema display that particular named model does not do dvi which is the previous standard and dual link DVI does not do Thunderbolt 2, which is the later standard for the Apple Thunderbolt display. The Apple LED cinema display is the model series that um, a couple different sizes that used mini display port as both the display standard and the connection standard. So uh, that's been problematic because the Thunderbolt display, you can simply get a Thunderbolt 2 to 3 adapter from Apple and plug it into a Thunderbolt 3 uh, 
port. That's an expensive adapter, though. Like yeah. these new adapters are cheaper, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because Thunderbolt two to three, you can you you, you could be transferring like twenty gigabit or ten gigabit per second data over, and so doing a video is a lot lower um, a lower deal. Although there'll be docs out that'll make that easier. Two. So, so Thunderbolt 3 uses the USB-C connector. So if you have, like I do, a 12-inch MacBook, I cannot use a Thunderbolt 2 display in any fashion. The Apple Thunderbolt displays are not available to me. However, the Apple LED cinema display with mini display port over mini display port, uh, people are asking, isn't there any way <laughs> I can plug this into a uh, USB-C plug? Because the display port standard it's using is actually supported by both USB-C as are uh, uh, within one version of USB-C, that's sort of the more general one, and also within the different version that is Thunderbolt 3, also supports DisplayPort in a different way, but equally compatibly. So adapters started shipping in December. We got on it, you know, got it all together, and I tested a bunch of ones because things kept going in and out of availability. So in December, people would say, oh, what do you think of this one? And it would be out of stock until February. So I was able to finally get um, th two... Uh, adapters that one has passed through USB-C power. So you can plug it in on a MacBook, uh, which has a single port and still be able to power your computer, which is important. Uh, the other is just a mini display port to USB-C and then a dock from CalDigit. And then a couple of adapters you can plug together. If you can't buy one of the others, you can get two separate adapters that are pretty cheap, stick them together. So we have an article up explaining how these Four different solutions ranging from about 20 bucks to um, the dock is 150, but there's a lot of price points in between. Well, uh, but for between 20 to $35, you can get a single adapter, double adapter uh, situation that'll work and uh, all worked fine. I mean, that's the, the bottom line is uh, the display works perfectly fine with several adapters. So boom, there you go. Cool. But people ask, I mean, we've got so many questions about this so i assume there's a ton of monitors out there and people you know um i got one from y'all loaned me one that uh, is beautiful it's a 1440p uh, 27 inch version it's crisp and beautiful and bright and i'm like oh this is kind of you know it's kind of nice like why would you get rid of this unless you're trying to upgrade to a similar but much more expensive uh 4k adapter is my thinking so you know it's pretty good um so that's at macworld.com. If you're looking for it, you can refer people to it. And um, I've got one more adapter coming to test, I think, uh, because I think it's a little cheaper and um, has slightly different features. So we'll probably add that when that comes in. Susie, another monitor follow-up, LG. Uh, were you out the week that it turned out? Was that no, last, last week that turned out LG monitors, uh, uh, 5K um, display? Yeah, we talked about this last week. That was last week. Okay, so they promised to fix them, but that means you're going to have to send your monitor to LG so they can put new shielding on the cable. Oh, bummer. Yeah, but, I mean, of, they can't have moved that many of those, right? I don't know. I don't think they had a huge supply, but so they are going to fix. They it, admitted like, just went on sale. Yeah, so. so they admitted the problem and they're going to fix it, which is which is great. But you think they would have tested that before a chip with some Wi-Fi router? Well, you know. <laughs> Move fast and break things, especially your customers' things. Um, oh, you know, this isn't in our notes, but uh, speaking of monitors, just a little bit of follow up because we talk about privacy. Uh, the Vizio thing. Did you see that yesterday? Yeah. So Vizio. Uh, D-I-Z-I-O. They make uh, TVs. 
Yeah, they make Cheap TVs. Bees. They make TVs, and they just uh, did a deal here with the FTC. They um, have settled a case with the FCC about unauthorized tracking, and Vizio was basically grabbing all of your behavior while you watch TV and matching it against programming, and then sending your IP address and you know anonymized, right? But they're sending no, spe- not even anonymized. Well, like I'm, this person watched this. I mean, they didn't like, know. Sell them. They didn't send stuff. your name. That's why I'm saying put, um, you couldn't. See my air quotes. I'm sorry. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, oh, was not yeah. anonymized. So you could so that allow advertisers to track it this stuff. It wasn't like, oh, you know how like sometimes they're like, oh yeah, we collect all this data, but then we like aggregate it and sell, you know, like info about it the trends not. and no, whatever. Like, no, 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 no. They were selling like, your personal profile of oh, what my God. you could watch so advertisers could just, you know, know everything it about. Is the most appalling thing and the company hasn't really apologized. They have and a they lot of Find like two million dollars, oh, and they did it to like eleven million TVs. It just does not seem like a proportional no, they should, thing. They should be regurgitating a bunch of money. Um, and they're like, oh, well, don't do it anymore, and yeah. just delete all the data. They were selling the data. It's oh, it's like, just uh, it's one. I mean, it's probably one of the worst security and it was anything you trust. had on the tv it wasn't just like if you were using the smart tv to like you know stream stuff like through the tv right, it, was right. it was like anything you could watch a dvd you could like watch they could analyze and match TV. they were like yeah anything that's on the screen at yeah, any time second by so, second basis vizio collected a selection of pixels on the screen that it matched to a database of tv movie and commercial content um yeah add it all up and vizio <laughs> captured as many as was from the ftc release as a hundred billion data points each day for millions of TVs. Blah, 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 this blah, is blah. why people are afraid of this stuff, like Alexa and you know Google Home and anything Rightly that so. can listen to you all the time. Like even my iPhone sitting here waiting for me to say the magic words. Like it's kind of creepy. Yeah, it's uh, you know we don't have anything that listens to us except uh, a Huawei telephone in our house, and and my wife is even dubious about that. Uh, Apple's privacy protection on Siri seem to be significant enough that we'll we'll trust it for now. Yeah, it's like I mean, I guess if they did one of those speakers, like maybe I would be swayed that since it's Apple and they're so like crazy about privacy. But I mean, I don't know. Like this thing is just kind of creepy, and it would be nice to have something be able to tell me the weather at any time. But my phone can do that, and I'm okay using my hands for some things. Susie, you know the truth. If Apple did it, it wouldn't work very well. We'd be unhappy with it. (laughs) Yeah, we'd be like, I'm trying to not be rude. I would stop using it because I don't like talking to to, uh, you know Siri very much. Yeah. Um. One last follow up. It's sort of follow up lawsuits because I know you love. Lawsuits, Susie. Speaking of things that I love a lot, sarcasm font. This is a deep, deep, deep follow up. Is uh, long ago, I forget if you and I talked about it on this podcast, but it's come come up before. Apple uh, was sued over some of the technology used in FaceTime years ago. Uh, one of those semi-frivolous lawsuits used by patent trolls for technology that's never actually open source FaceTime. What's that? Is it, or was that iMessage? No, fa- Apple said fo- FaceTime. Apple confused us all because when they introduced FaceTime, they said it's built entirely on top of open source technology. What it turned out they meant is we're not going to open it to anyone else. <laughs> Everyone assumed they meant they were going to open the ecosystem when in fact they meant, oh. yeah, it was in the biggest, I mean, it was one of the biggest jobs. Yeah, what is, how does that matter to us? It if, doesn't like, matter gonna, to us. Yeah. It doesn't matter to us. But in the end, so they settled with this firm. I believe they settled. Yeah, they settled and they, uh, just they change the technology so they wouldn't have to pay additional licensing fees. And so between iOS 6 and 7, I believe it was, uh, Apple, the FaceTime changed. And so same in the Mac OS 10 at the time and so forth. Uh, so it, Apple's been sued because of the uh, assumption that Apple was making its older phones uh, crappier by not allowing FaceTime oh, to work. Oh, yeah. 
because I do have an old iPad that I can't upgrade past iOS 6, but it's also an original iPad, so it can't do FaceTime because it exactly. doesn't have a camera. But yeah, I guess. I mean, if you like, what's the Venn diagram of people that have devices that can't? Yeah, and so a, a newer device couldn't FaceTime with an iOS 6 device. Yeah, exactly. And and over that. Yeah, because it uses the new version uses uh, peer, because you can't update these older devices. Um, right. It just doesn't work with FaceTime. And uh, the the they thing did was, cut a bunch of them off between iOS six and iOS right. seven. And but the, it's like that's just because of the technology. Yeah, FaceTime became crummier because it switched to peer to peer instead of a different system that allowed more robustness to it. Mm. Uh, that was it was a re, there was like a relay involved that provided more robust uh, performance. So anyway, class action lawsuit, Apple knowingly made FaceTime inoperable on iOS 6 because blah, blah, blah. And here's the thing. The lawsuit apparently, this is from our uh, article at Macworld.com, includes emails between Apple engineers. One of them wrote, hey, guys, I'm looking at the Akamai contract for next year. That's the content distribution network that was hosting the relayed information, which was costing Apple a bundle. I understand we did something in April around iOS 6 to, to reduce relay utilization. An engineer responded, it was a big user of relay bandwidth. We broke iOS 6, and the only way to get FaceTime working again is to upgrade to iOS 7. So engineers, when they say break, they don't mean we broke something purposely in order to destroy customers. They mean the protocol change and is no longer compatible. We broke the system means we had to make a break from it. So you know now it's going to be an irritating multi-million dollar lawsuit that will drag on, and we'll all be irritated with it. And um, in the end, the lawyers will get money, and the people who are the class action suit folks will get almost nothing. And nobody wins. Hooray! Let's agree to never mention it on the podcast again. Okay, there we go. I'm making a note. <laughs> I'm making a note. I'm not really making a note, but we'll never talk about it again. Uh, moving on to new new business. I'll gavel it in. Um, so we talk a lot about Consumer Reports testing of the MacBook battery, MacBook Pro battery, and a bug they found that Apple then fixed, and how, um, at least I felt, that Consumer Reports' behavior was a disservice to, despite it not being their specific fault that there was a bug, the methodology of testing and um, sorting out where the flaw in their testing regimen was, which turned out not to be theirs, but was because of a setting they chose, did a disservice to consumers by making a product that was actually, that they now highly recommend and has extremely good battery life, like a remarkably good battery life, um, making it look like a bad choice. So there's a consumer harm there because people made decisions based on bad information because they didn't tear apart their testing setup and so forth. So uh, uh, our own Gordon Ung at uh, PC World uh had a bee in his bonnet about this and said, you know what? <laughs> I know about batteries. I know about computers. I'm going to do a... He works ex- with Roman really closely, too. Like, oh, I didn't know. Okay, good. Roman yeah, Loyola. I, Roman our- maybe should have gotten a co-byline. I mean, Roman, like, Gordon wrote it all, but, like, Roman helped him, like, you know, figure out how to test the... All the tests he did were kind of, like, in concert with Roman. Oh, so. excellent. Well, all credit to both. Let's make sure they're fully fully credited on this really podcast. It did really well on PC World and almost as well on Macworld. So, yeah, yeah it was a, a good story. Like, Gordon it, is... He's like, great. I mean, I was a little afraid because he's such a PC guy and he's so like anti Apple. Um, and, <laughs> and so I was just like worried that it would be like really good test, but just like written like, you know, really insultingly or whatever. But he was thorough. <laughs> he was, you know, reasonable. And and the in the end, he concluded that, you know, like the, the, the battery is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. He did find so, another bug, though, which is cool. I don't yes. know if it's Apple. Hopefully Apple reads Mac World and PC World. Well, for, no, it, was, it was fixed. It was like the, he oh, found. Oh, that's right. He, they, right, right. he found it in the in the in he was using 12.2.2 and they had already fixed it in in 
Oh, 10.12.2, and they had already fixed it in 10.12.3. And then when he retested it with the new um, system, it was gone. So. Right. And that's how you do testing. When you find something that's an abnormal, that's like a strange outlier, you break things down, figure out what it is, and then you figure it out if there's a It different than the it. Consumer Reports that's one. That's right. Remember when Apple like released the the update, they were like, okay, and it fixes like you know another, another right. graph of glitch that it was happening. So yeah, he found that if you went to some web apps, like as a Google Maps was one of the the ones that always did it, um, it would switch to the high-end graphics chip when it really didn't need to. And then it would kind of forget to switch back because usually in Safari, it wouldn't need that that chip. So something right. in the in the OS wasn't switching back and that graphics chip was just, you know, running the battery when it didn't need to. So that was one of the things, I think that was the bug that they fixed. And then he checked it again. It was getting better. Um, so the only time where the older MacBook, like he, the, the the most fascinating test where he pulled out like a 2013 MacBook that had the giant battery, like 99.5 yeah. watt hours, and now it's like 20% smaller or something. He found he was testing them together and found that the new the newer MacBook, even with the smaller battery, is more efficient in almost every use case. The only time that the older MacBook with the giant mega battery beat it was when he did like the absolute torture test. Where you just like you it's like it's like you loaded up your car and you were flooring it like uphill with you know the heater on and everything like just you totally like just hurting it mm-hmm. and like the kind of stuff that would like would make it die in like eighty minutes he then the the bigger MacBook was was winning right but but it's surprisingly know. I mean it's that's so good though that they yeah. I mean it shows that they've actually engineered it really well for all the people's complaints about the MacBook Pro's feature set. They made the battery that much more efficient. I mean, or they, they're, uh, the system that much more efficient that they can get by with a smaller battery. So the people who are complaining about their MacBook having worse battery than the you know the MacBook Pro that they replaced, I mean, they're not necessarily wrong. It really depends on what you do, and that's you know an annoying conclusion, but it's really just the honest truth. The graphic chip thing is going to be interesting. I read a few reports that said uh, some people who had re- who had had their problem were getting like three or four hours of battery life. And sometimes not like we're sometimes then they were not engaging that consumer reports bug. Uh, I think some people have said the graphics. I'm trying to remember where I saw this, but some people said that graphics fix actually solved it. So if you left maps.google.com up in a background tab, you could be getting, you know, one fifth the battery life you would of not having that tab open. So that's. You know, that was a bug. Um, but that's what they fixed. Yeah. And I think that's great. I mean, Gordon uh, Gordon's and Roman did a fantastic job in that piece. And it's exactly the kind of thing that I would hold up as, uh, not just because it's from the fine folks at IDG, but <laughs> I think it's uh, but it's the kind of thing that I look forward to reading. And, you know, he even did the – Yeah, they a, worked really hard on it. Took a thermal gun, you know, and like looked at the he thing. He loves that. Heat radiation Roman ha- from it. Gordon has the best toys. It's good. He and I both just bought this cool thing that you'll hear about in future reviews that I do, and he does. Um, it's from Satechi, S-A-T-E. E-C-H-I, and it's a USB-C power monitor. Yeah, which, he showed it to me yesterday. Oh, my God, so it's only 20. So, folks, <laughs> if for some reason you need a test, it's 25 bucks. Nobody else is making this. Like, I'd really – I'd have to either build a homebrew thing, create this Ubuntu thing that's – um, it's, there's like a – Ubuntu is a Unix variant. You have to get a Ubuntu box and then install the stuff and put these weird, like, homebrew cable thing in to test it. Or there's companies uh, – there's not put up in Vancouver. What does it do? It just measures the, like, just, voltage that's measures, being pulled? Uh, out of a USB-C voltage and or? amperage and it's bi-directional it shows you which direction it's going so if you're charging Ooh. a battery um, it, it, so you can put it in line in any USB-C connection and see what's going on and because it's passed through it lets you because uh, when I've been doing battery testing for USB-C battery packs or I've even been trying to deplete the battery 
in a MacBook to see like what the current amount is or whatever, or charge it up. It is so hard. Everything has to be inferential. I have a battery meter that's actually pretty inexpensive from a PortaPow that does regular USB type A and has some other clips and things. So you can do other kinds of battery testing. And I can use that like when I'm charging uh, a regular battery, but without this, there's no way to know what the actual voltage and uh, mm. amperage is. So you're you're inferring by like looking at the um, LEDs on a battery and then timing it and then doing math and hoping that you're getting it right. So this will be a big advantage for um, for testing. So that's the kind of thing I get excited. But twenty five bucks, you know, I mean, usually the so there's not put up in Vancouver, uh, BC. Name I'm forgetting right now. They're a, a battery uh, information and testing giant and they make testing equipment they do not sell USB-C gear yet uh and the kind of stuff they sell costs thousands of dollars because it's being sold into industry that's actually creating this kind of product uh so and you can pay them to do testing as well but anyway very excited jordan and i we're geeking out over battery testing stuff um speaking of batteries speaking of speaking of batteries i uh wrote a mac 911 a few days ago about the bulgy battery problem because i had a colleague who uh, changed out a battery on his uh, his um, it wasn't his wife's laptop was it his anyway changed out a battery on a laptop in his house and uh, it was super bulgy and he was kind of amused by it and like oh my god walk away from that thing put it you know someplace safe because you could have a runaway lithium ion uh, 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 not transaction I can't think of the word uh, uh, interaction and um, it could you know burst into flame it could explode all you know he's like what should you do if you have a bulgy battery if you have a bulgy battery um the best thing you should do is immediately unplug any device that has uh any, from power and take it to a uh a non-conductive surface maybe even outside if it's not too cold or too hot so you can put it on concrete on stone yard. <laughs> on non-conductive metal on ceramic you want to put it on something and uh ostensibly as the voltage as it cools down i mean if it's a runaway um, if you believe that it's if it's smoking and you believe that it's going to explode, you can plunge it into water. Um, that's what's recommended on airplanes. There is some lithium is a highly conductive uh, uh, metal with uh, oxygen. I'm sorry, with H two O. So if you put pure lithium in water, it will explode. It's not a good thing. It will catch on. I believe it catches on fire, which is horrible. Your water catches on fire. But the amount of lithium in a lithium ion battery, especially with all the enclosures, is relatively low uh, compared to the overall volume. So if you're, that's why on airplanes, when we had these uh, Note 7 problems and, and other issues, the, per, the recommended procedure on an airplane is to plunge the battery either into water or soda, of all things, whatever is available. Mm. Um, and that's considered safe so if you have a smoking whatever, there you can use uh, an, an ABC fire extinguisher, a normal fire extinguisher. Um, you can use uh, water, uh, anything that gets the reaction there cooled some down. Some just kind of like a little bulged out all the time, like even when they're not no, being used. Like I've no. been in the Apple Store and seen people bring in like you know like it's uh, the the key like a laptop where like the aluminum is kind of bulged no, out a little bit, and they're no, like no, it's because no, no. of the battery. No, if there's any bulge, it is no longer safe. The bulge indicates a runaway reaction that right, has I taken know, place. But I mean, like oh. some of them, like it's not being used, but it's just like it bulges out kind of permanently and then never goes back in. No. Like that's bad. You shouldn't use those anymore. No, exactly right. You know, you're, but you're probably but it's not like a throw water on it situation, no, right? It's if already it, unplugged and cold. If and, it's heating up and it, if it's hot and getting hotter, if it's right. smoking or you can smell a chemical reaction, do not puncture it. Some people will puncture it thinking that will release the reaction. Oh, it that's is, a terrible idea. It's mostly full. It's, here's the tricky part. It's mostly 
mostly safe, but they can't get no one could guarantee it's safe because it's the lithium reaction. The most of the you reaction. You can only throw water on it if it's smoking, right? Uh, like it's smoking, don't throw it. No, don't. You know, immerse it. In, don't, don't. Immerse it in water. Right. Immerse in water. But the best thing you do is take it outside, put it on a surface that's non-reactive. So uh, cement, um, uh, stainless, you know, steel, uh, ceramic. But it doesn't unbulge. Like it's bulged forever, isn't it? Well, if you know, you'll do. I mean, that's if it's if it's hotter, getting hotter, or smoking, or smells, or you're concerned about it, put it on. And you don't you don't want to leave it in your house in a bulgy state. You basically want right, to get right, it as quickly right. as possible. Yeah, take it outside. yeah. But if it if it hasn't been charged for a while and it's just bulgy and nothing's changing and it's not hot to the touch, then you need to find a disposal thing. The tricky yeah, part that's is that's what I'm talking about. You have to take it to like a disposal facility. Yeah, don't put it in normal. Yeah, you don't put it in normal electronics recycling without alerting somebody that there is uh, that the battery's bulging and, and damaged. Um, Apple will take them. I've taken bulgy batteries to them in the past. They'll take their okay. own. I don't think they'll take anybody else's. Um, they'll also take any just normal dead battery you take out of a laptop, that Apple laptop you can take to an Apple store. Uh, my friend went with the bulgy battery to an Apple store, and the people there were baffled by what they were supposed to do. And he was like, this is, uh, you know, it's bulgy. Don't just mess around. And they're like, oh, we don't know. He was stunned, which is terrible because Apple has specifically said – they, you know, they're trained their staff to deal with battery returns and whatever. Um, you can also go to Best Buy, but Best Buy may not be willing. You can call them. They may not be willing to take a battery that needs um, special disposal. They'll normally take any lithium-ion battery uh, for recycling for free, I think up to like three a day or something per person. You can also check with your local solid waste department um, or recycling department in um, Seattle. King County handles all that. And their site has a lot of details. I can take it to Hazmat here, apparently, or I can go to okay. a number of partners. So there's a lot of places you can take it. But if it's if it's smoking, if you think if it's getting bulgier, do not plug it back in. Another colleague the other day was just like, "Oh, I had a bulgy battery and it shrunk, so I plugged it back in and it started to bulge again." I'm like, "No, don't no, plug it." No. Yeah. The bulging indicates that internal safeguards have been bypassed bulging and broken. Bad. It means that a runaway, a runaway. Uh, 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 I still can't think of the word. Or runaway it's like reaction. your bike helmet's been in a crash. You can't use that one anymore. That's right. You gotta it's, get a new one. <laughs> it's like your bike helmet's been in a pr- crash and you have edema and your head is swelling. It's right. Yeah, and it's you're like, like, I'll just kind of fit the like I'll, pieces of the helmet around my newly weird shaped yeah, head and just then keep I'll riding. Just, then I'll just no, fall no, off no, the bike no. again and my head will be fine. So no anyway, bueno. I know it's not to be too, you know, negative there, but. Anyway, let's let's <laughs> emphasize the positive with batteries, this is not such the negative. A cheerful podcast. That's right. Well, next on my list is the uh, macro podcast of happiness and life. Uh, I was. And uh, let's now let's trash something let's else. Let's trash HomeKit. So HomeKit, uh, HomeKit, HomeKit. Home neither a home nor a kit. Discuss. Uh, yeah, I worked uh, for TechHive, and we also ran on Mac World. I did a comprehensive overview of HomeKit for folks because we got a lot I of questions. I enjoyed it. Good job. Oh, thank you very much. We had a lot of questions from people about you know. Okay, I keep hearing about HomeKit. I see devices that are marked with HomeKit. You know, what is it? What can I get out of it? Should I buy into it? And, you know, my basic argument is I think Apple's designed a really good system that not enough companies have bought into. So, and you'd pay a lot of money for stuff that you don't need yet. Plus, do you want to um, – this? I have this discussion with some colleagues yesterday, in fact, too, which is uh, uh, Kelly Guimont, who is a longtime Mac person, used to be at uh, – was it uh, uh, the unofficial uh, Apple weblog was Tua. Wasn't that her uh, – yes. she, she's been all over. She's great. She worked for a bunch of Apple-related uh, product companies and um, – uh, you know, Kelly has some uh, Internet of Things stuff. I've talked to other folks who have a zero who are like anti, you know, like uh, my wife is an early rejector, we call her, and it's wise. Um, and so part of it is 
that thing we were talking about. Do you want you know Alexa to be listening to you? Do you want all these devices to be um, tuned in? The other is you're buying into an ecosystem. Do you want to buy into products that are made by startups when they power your home? Uh, I was talking to a neighbor the other day who um, – uh, one of the this couple uh, used to work for Google even. They bought a Nest and it almost burned their house down because the Nest 12-volt wire bug where it would like turn the wire on and off rapidly and um, it almost burned their house down. They have all these problems. They had to remove it. You know, So and Nest was a startup at the time. Now it's part of Alphabet. Um, but the – so HomeKit may be a – it seems like a well-designed and well-thought-out product. Apple's improved it over time. They've made a lot of things about it uh, much better and it has great security – but I don't know if now is the time you buy into it because there's just not enough that has enough value and things will definitely, if it continues to grow, things will get cheaper. So I'm, I kind of advise against, you know, mission critical early adoption. Well, yeah. Mission critical. No. But the nice thing that I think about HomeKit is that, um, since it doesn't require like a hub, it's the, the oh, you can kind of like dip your toe in pretty yeah, yeah. easily. You can play with like you it. could start with like one plug that you plug the lamp into that's by your bed, and now like okay, now you have to turn your lamp on like with Siri or with um you know your phone because if you just lean over and flip the switch on that lamp, like you're gonna kind of mess up like its state in HomeKit and it might not work anymore. But um. <laughs> But you can kind of just dip in with like like a small cheap device. Like you can get some for under fifty dollars, and you don't have to do a whole system because you don't have to like you know buy a hub and start hooking things up to this hub, and then um, you know hope that 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 doesn't go out, out of business. So there's a couple, yeah. So I mean, like I think there's so many things now that are working with like Alexa and Google Home and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of the in that people were like, oh, I can just start with this one speaker and then add stuff on over time. Like HomeKit doesn't really have one of those like star things yet where everyone wants that thing. And then that becomes like the start that they like expand from. Um, because HomeKit is so modular, you can start kind of from anywhere, but then there's no like really clear on-ramp sort of into it. And I mean, uh, Stacy Higginbotham tweeted us um, after you tweeted this, saying that um, uh, she she's like a smart home expert. Okay, yeah, she yeah. used to do it at uh, GigaOM, and um, now she's at oh god, she's still at Fortune. Fortune? Yeah, at I Fortune. think so. Okay. But she's great, and she's used everything. Total expert, early adopter. She knows the whole all all of it forwards and backwards and she said that she put in like a single home kit like light switch like a hardwired light switch and was like so nervous because she felt like she was buying into this this apple system and apple just has like this reputation of putting up these walls that like no one's ever going to scale so so she was nervous about doing home kit just because like it was apple and that's such a closed system She's like, this will never talk to the other things in my house, and and like, because some some like Nest works with like a bunch of different systems, but it's never going to work with HomeKit. So so that might be a roadblock too. Yeah, it's true. And you can get, I mean, you can get uh, plug-in switches, you can get wiring switches, you can get um, bulb replacements like Philips Hue HUE. That's a full bulb and Wi-Fi connected, HomeKit compatible. Um, or you can get a light socket, so you can screw in a, a socket into your lights into the regular bulb socket and then put a bulb into that and uh 
So there's a lot of options where, I mean, that's what I need. Yeah. I was thinking, gosh, you know, the thing that would be great is just the lights when you're on vacation instead of having to put timers in. It would be such a relief to just have some home kit lights or sock, uh, or controllable switches and a hub. I mean, I have a fourth generation Apple TV, which will work as a relay hub for remote control and, uh, timed things and, uh, sharing with users, uh, other users. You can give them access through it. Uh, so that's the only hub need, but it's an Apple TV. You don't have to buy a special hub to enable it. Yeah, I mean, it. I have that. And sometimes I check in from away and it's like, I don't know if your stuff is on or not or on or off. Oh, come I feel on. like really? I can't trust it 100%. Uh, well, that's bad. But so, yeah, so I think, you know, it's, it's we're very early. And the thing that's about to happen is we're starting to see the coalescing of other standards. So what I fear might happen, I don't know if it's fear because it's whatever, is uh, the other different sort of home kit like ecosystems like it was Google's this thread there's all these things out there and you know and Zigbee is like a protocol but some things are Zigbee standards so the issue is how it's wrapped in an interface and home kit is kind of a, a protocol also with a top level um, interface wrapper around it that's proprietary so the, the question will be if all Apple's competitors eventually go look it's ridiculous that we have um, I mean I saw this chart that has like 700 different parts of the ecosystem it's a kind of a ridiculous right now. So there has to be some kind of coalescing. So one of the there are two consortiums, one led by um, was it Qualcomm and the other by Intel. I think were the heads. They merged around CES this year uh, and into a new group that's going to have a roadmap that brings their stuff together. So what if in a year or two you have HomeKit and then you have everybody else or a lot of other major players? It winds up being whatever. You also see companies that are putting in chips and support for multiple protocols. So you get a thing that can do HomeKit, it can do Thread, it can do you know whatever, and it'll work natively over Wi-Fi or Zigbee with an app. So we may just see that manufacturers are willing to eat the costs of a more engineering to have devices that sell into different ecosystems too. Uh, so... HomeKit. You can find that at Macworld.com as well. And we're going to have more on HomeKit. Um, we're working with Jeff Battersby to do a kind of get started with HomeKit. Like, what is, like, what do I do kind of guide? Like, just to like a, a getting started guide. And then we're going to start rolling out um, reviews of individual devices and then rounding those up into roundups so you'll be able to see which ones we like the best. My big problem with HomeKit is that... Uh, really is the stuff costs a lot of money. Like smart home stuff yeah. is still too expensive for the benefit for me with a few exceptions. Like alarm system, I have an, a hardwired IP-based alarm system that I got years ago that's been very useful remotely, um, but it's hardwired and it's not. It's sort of not really smart. It's barely, it's not really smart. So it's in the home and it's wired. Um, it's an IoT, I guess. And uh, uh, I can see, and thermostats can actually save you money if they don't burn yeah. your house down. If they don't bring us in. Uh, a couple other items before we finish up. Um, Apple is getting rid of finally 32-bit apps in iOS, which is um, apps that were they, – they've been gradually phasing out the ability to run – or to for uh, developers to uh, offer or to upload new versions. That's been cut off, but they still run. And in the future – 64-bit apps are the only ones that run. So if you have apps that warn you that this app might slow down your iOS device, this might slow down your iPhone when you launch it. Those apps will stop working in the future, uh, not too distant future. Um, so if you have any of those, better find replacements now. Um, one other sort of uh, helpful tidbit here, I wrote a, a piece about um, AirPlay alternatives. People are asking about what happens if Apple really does stop selling this stuff. What can they do? And I wrote a piece explaining some options there and also the fact that obviously AirPlay will keep working. Um, but even buying old airport expresses is a way to keep your system going. 
And uh, I think the last Ooh, bit, yeah, because I mean, there's a lot of them out there. There's millions of them out there, and um, if you, all you need is the audio part, you just buy one of the used one and plug it in. Uh, and finally, uh, it looks like uh, the Touch Bar will start to eat the Mac a little more. <laughs> uh, n- n- I like this story. The new chips. Uh, this is uh, information leaks out of the company that uh, Apple will have a more powerful chip in future MacBooks that will. Uh, take over some of the power nap features. So it'll be less, um, it'll, this is part of what I keep, I thought that I would said at some point, I think the touch bar could eventually eat the Mac because the touch bar is like a little, yeah. it's a little operating system doing a certain limited things and interacting with the computer, but it's a pilot fish. They inserted another operating system, a variant of what sounds like watch OS into the Mac environment on an ARM processor, on an ARM so processor. it's power efficient. Yep, gives and... them a lot of room to test things, try stuff mm-hmm. out. So the next one might have a little more, and then eventually we find the ARM chip eats the eats the Intel chip. Yeah, like a dual, like uh, so. Dan Moran wrote his column on you know, like just yeah, taking this thought exercise out a few generations to a dual hybrid Mac that has an Intel process. Kind of now how they have dual graphics chip, like one for you know the easy stuff and one for the hard stuff. Like they would have sort of two processors, an ARM for the easy stuff and um, the Intel for the hard stuff. Because right now, I mean, like there's a lot of things it does sort of during power nap where it's checking your email and you know syncing your iCloud data and stuff sort of behind the scenes. None of that needs as much power as the Intel chip provides. So some potential battery savings there. Yeah. Interesting uh, stuff. Yeah. I think that's about it for, for this week. I'll, I'll point out, we had a snow day in Seattle yesterday. I just want to point out one thing, which is came home from doing a little sledding with my kids before the snow. As the snow started to melt, walk up the steps, look down. There's the U.S. Postal Service. Postal truck, you know, their motto. That was a really nice picture that you put up on Twitter and stuff of they, that. Postal service. They truck. live up to. I was like, it's there's some rain and snow and sleet, and there they are. So because it some, was all like gray and white, and then you saw like the uh, bold logo of right. the blue and red, and it was just very like America is there. It's like, hey, we, hey, even if they're slush on the road, we're going to deliver the mail. Yep. So, folks, it whether by rain, sleet, snow, uh, husky, dog, or um, or uh, some kind of raccoon, you'll find us every week here. Susie, great to talk to you again. You too, as always. Thank you for being here. It is always a pleasure. And this has been episode 545 for February 8th, 2017 of the Macworld Podcast. Find us at macworld.com. Email us podcast at macworld.com. Find us on the Twitter machine at macworld, facebook.com slash macworld. And join us again next week. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening. Adios. Adios.